Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. Thanks so much. Excellent. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Welcome back. Those of you who've been away most of the summer, it's good to have you back with us today and into a new, uh, we're into a new groove, new theme. Um, gives me another opportunity to deviate from the theme. I love themes. I just don't like being restricted by themes. Just want to welcome everybody here. Is that Ben and Lauren right there? It is. Welcome. This is Ben and Lauren, you guys. They came from Australia to be with us this morning. Some of you have traveled far and wide to show up here. We're just so glad everyone's here. Um, I'm on a theme this morning, and um, it's, uh, we're taking the, uh, the story from the scriptures on Nehemiah. Uh, I've entitled the, the uh, series this month, Game Plan. It's about building or rebuilding your life. Uh, I think specifically, excuse me, I think specifically that um, sound is really important. We've got to keep the sound clear and clean. Um, I think that this is a picture of not just building walls, but about building a life. And in many ways, it's rebuilding a life. Um, last week, I gave a bunch of history about where this narrative fits in the whole story of, of uh, the history of Israel. And um, I want to continue with that this morning and take us to chapter <clears throat> 2. Before I do, I just want to do a little bit of review. Um, the, 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 name, the name Nehemiah means comforter. Interesting, huh? Because the Holy Spirit's our comforter. And the primary role was to rebuild the walls and the gates. Isaiah says that our walls will be called salvation, the gates will be called praise. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he comes to rebuild and renovate. <clears throat> Specifically, next week we'll talk about walls, the boundaries in our lives that get knocked over, and the gates, access points to our life. And, but it's important to note that <clears throat> before this time, Ezra had came and rebuilt the temple. It took him 20 years to do it. If you read Ezra chapter 1, to about chapter 9 or 10, it, it talks about the rebuilding of the temple. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you become His temple. That's who we are. And salvation begins at that point. It's not over, it just begins. And He begins to renovate our life and restore things that have been broken and knocked down and, and, and trampled upon. And so when we look at rebuilding our life, <clears throat> I want to look at this as a picture or a model of how we could use to rebuild our life. And I, I have a hunch that there's some people in here that need vision restored or they need some sense of direction confirmed and you'd like to do it God's way. You've tried it your own way, now you want to do it his way. And what would that be like? Let me just review a few things um, 
about the game plan. And we use the term game plan just as a, just, you know, kind of loosely. But here's what's interesting about Nehemiah to me. One of the things that I, as I read through it, and I, I hope this inspires you to read through Nehemiah a few times. I noticed that God didn't ask him to rebuild the walls. I think that's important. Sometimes we think we need a specific word from heaven to just change a condition that you know something's wrong there and you need a word from the Lord. You may not need a word from the Lord specifically. You may need a word generally to just improve a a condition or a situation in your life. The other thing you'll notice is there's no real miracles that take place. There's no water that parts. There's no angelic visitation. There's no prophetic words or prophets that come on the scene and call down fire from heaven. There's a man who has a burden in his heart. He begins a four-month prayer meeting and then just puts his hand to the plow. It's It's an interesting scenario. There are some miraculous things that take place, but they're more, rather than being about talent, it's more about tenacity. And I, and I sometimes think that we get upset when things get stirred up in our life or something and we think that that storm's destructive. That storm may be just clearing a path, a new path, and a new direction for your life. And so... I want to just make a reference to chapter 1 that we, we mostly talked about last week. But the, the one thing that has to stand out for us is that God takes somebody who's completely unqualified for a construction project. He's a cupbearer. He's a wine taster. There's some with a big smile. You'd like that job. The wine in Babylon probably wasn't that great. But nevertheless, he was a sommelier. He, probably just, he was probably just testing whether it was poisonous or not. He wasn't describing it like on some wine bottles that little hint of leather and some st- stone fruit and, you know. I kind of like to be one of those people with plaid blazers and <laughs> short pants and no socks that just write about what wine tastes like. He was probably just checking to see whether it was poisonous or not. It's likely all he was doing. But, but it's, honestly, it's quite interesting to me that God would take somebody completely out and ask him to do something completely outside of his skill set. And, and here, here is my hunch is why he would do that is so that he could not gain the credit for it, but he would have to say, God did it. And that's what we'll see in chapter 2. He's he's at a very unique place. He's at the king's winter palace in a place called Susa. Chapter 1 starts like that. It's it's autumn. It's kind of September, October, November. And and, and it begins by saying these are the memoirs. Um, Those of you, when you hit a certain age, you begin looking back. I've hit that age. And you start looking back. And you want to look back and be able to smile. And and I love some of the things that happened in Nehemiah's life. but I want to just say this first thing. I didn't share this last week. Because I was in the fortress at Susa. This is not on, you won't have a screen for this. I was in the fortress at Susa. One of my brothers came to visit me. And I asked them about my, my, my brothers. Every one of you has a place. You need to learn to connect to your place, not curse your place. 
You've been placed in a certain place for a specific reason and a specific purpose. And you may not get a promotion until you learn to bless your place. He was at a place. You say, well, Lord, if I was just only at another place, then I'd have all this opportunity. No, no, no. You're in a place. Learn to be okay where you're placed. <laughs> be happy with your place. Oh, I wish I would have been born 100 years earlier or something. Yeah, just settle down. You're in a place. Many times we don't get to pick our place. I'm really thankful I'm Canadian. I'm so thankful I'm Canadian. Um, it's just a place. But because of this place, I have incredible opportunity. And in, in your place, everyone has a place. You need to learn to bless your place and connect your place and be okay with your place and not curse your place. He was in Susa, and it's the wintertime. And, and I, I love uh, how he prayed. Um, I think you learn a lot about people when you listen to them pray. Uh, I have done this in the past. I'll, I won't do it again, of course. But if you ask people for a prayer request, on a scale of 1 to 10, just give it a gauge. Because most people, the biggest thing they pray about is a parking spot. I, I love when I hear people talk, pray stuff that is so big, it's just, just dang near impossible. He, the way that he prayed, there's 12 prayers in Nehemiah. This first prayer is kind of like a, it's very much like the disciples' prayer. And, and there's lots of things that are striking about it. He reminds God of his covenant, that he's a covenant-keeping God. He's made a promise. He's going to fulfill the promise. I think that's okay to rehearse promises in prayer. I think that's fine. But I think the most profound point is the pronoun he uses. And, and I hope we learn this early in our intercession life, is that we don't pray about them. We pray about we. We need to learn to identify with the people we're interceding for. And he used this phrase over and over again. He said, I confess that we have sinned. Well, had he sinned yet? But he identified with their sin. <clears throat> um, honestly, this is a big step in, in empathizing with others, is learning to identify with where they're at. Um, all you parents kind of know that we're a little bit protective of our children. And, and we pray for us, but when you invite a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law into your life, it's now we. You need to expand your heart to be able to include them. And you don't, you don't like, go after those son-in-laws or daughter-in-laws. Say, Lord, we, we, we have sinned. And, and, and we have fallen short. And we need your grace. We need to learn to pray we prayers. The, the disciples' prayer was our Father, forgive us. And learning to intercede like Nehemiah did is a great thing for us. Read through those. Read the prayers. He has lots of what I would call just little 911 prayers, um, you know, little emergency prayers. But it's because he was able to do those because he had spent four to five months in fasting and prayer before that time. And he already had the mind of the Lord and the will of the Lord and the conviction of the Lord. And this is, this is the, such a beautiful thing that we see at the end of his prayer um, in chapter 1, um, put it, praying about grant of success. It says, early the following spring, so this is now April or May, and the intercession began in probably November. And so he had about a five-month prayer meeting. 
what, so he, so he's, he, he, he didn't start his vision with a vision. He started his vision with a burden. I think that's one of the greatest clues to figure out what God's called us to do. Is what are those things that cause you to weep? And may I even say this, is I, don't th- I think we've been, our, our, our cheeks have been dry a little bit too long. I don't know if we feel with our city enough or our nation enough. I'm not sure that we actually can connect with those who are separated and far from God or on the edge of depression or discouragement. I'm not sure. I know I'm not. I feel isolated many times. But once I begin to seek the Lord on behalf of us, it actually changes that scenario somewhat. Um, It's interesting to me that he begins, he, he says, early the following spring, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. We'll, we will find our permission, because it's after we connect with passion, we need, to connect, we need to get permission. I think we find our permission in the context of serving. He was serving the king. We could, we could use this metaphorically, like this is like serving King Jesus. And he said, I was serving. <clears throat> I'd never appeared sad in his presence before this time. It was actually it was against the law to appear unhappy in the king's presence. Uh, he couldn't keep it quiet any longer, I assume. The, the, figuring out this thing that needed to take place, he began to, he began to stir him up. What are the things that stir you up? We find our passion from kind of three sources, what makes you glad, sad, or mad. And things get stirred up in us. And he said, so he asked me, why are you so sad? You aren't sick, are you? You look like a man with deep troubles. <laughs> just a, I, there's some people that have that gift, uh, you know, I, a few years ago I wasn't feeling that great. I needed some people to say, you look great, Pastor Lauren. So many, gosh, you look terrible, hey? <laughs> Thanks. Um, anyway, I didn't, uh, then I was, this way he says that, then I was badly frightened. <laughs> I think that's cute. But I replied, long live the king. He's kind of saving his butt because he knows that his, 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 actually his life is on the line because he's not meant to appear sad. And so the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he probably said this lots, you know. It's like, kind of like a Hail Mary, I think. You know, long live the king. Uh, why shouldn't I be sad? Okay, so here's what happens eventually when God places a conviction or a burden on your heart. Eventually it turns into a vocabulary. And now he's giving the elevator speech to King Artaxerxes. The city that my ancestors are buried in is in ruins, and the gates have been burned down. The king says, well, how can I help? The NIV says, what do you want? Um, With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. So he didn't have long to pray, right? This is one of those 911 prayers. He's actually praying as he's talking. I do that constantly. Uh, As... If it please your majesty, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, then send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king, with the queen, sitting beside him, said, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So the king agreed, and I set a date for my departure. I also said to the king, he's getting pretty confident. I also said, if it please your majesty, give me letters of the governors of the province west of the Euphrates, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah, and please send a letter to Asaph, the manager of the king's force, instructing him to give me some timber. I'll need it to, he's already, this, he's already got this plan in place. 
I needed to make beams for the gates of the <clears throat> temple, excuse me, for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of the Lord was upon me. Wow, I love that. Faith, favor always follows faith. Doesn't just show up out of nowhere. <laughs> Requires people stepping out in faith. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates, I delivered the king's letters to them. And, he's, and uh, the king, I should add, sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. That is favor. Uh, but when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very angry, and someone had come, that someone had come who was interested in helping Israel. I'll just stop there and make some comments on this. Every, every great vi vision has opposition. Don't, oh well. Whatever. The, 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 the interesting thing, when you look at the history of Nehemiah, the walls had been down for 140 years. It would, it, arguably, every Jew knew that the walls were down. Um, what, if, what if God's calling you to solve an old problem? A situation that's existed for a long time. What if he's asking you to change a social condition? And you may have this lazy theology that goes, well, if God wanted it done, he'd do it himself. Get over that. God needs men and women who will respond in faith to what needs to be done on the earth. <laughs> the psalmist said, your word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. That's not an issue. Who settles it on the earth? It's you and I. We are the, we are the ones, we're living epistles. It's you and I that walk out the will of the Lord and the word of the Lord on the earth. So this is not a new problem. He arguably knew about this for a long time. It's not, a, not been a new thing for him, but in a Ordinary day, in an ordinary moment, something touched a chord deep within him. Enough is enough. Something needs to be done. Uh, this, this is, I hope, what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now. He's bringing up things where something needs to be done. And it'll move you to a, to a time and a season of prayer. Not an afternoon. That's not enough time to change a heart. It's not enough time to create favor like this, where as soon as you step out, things just start, chuk, 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 chuk. and they don't always happen, chuk, 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 by the way, and they don't have a sound like that. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> God, God confirms his word. Um, there's a number of things that kill vision. I'm going to replace the word vision with passion in a minute. Um, we're, we all know that without vision, people perish, and maybe if you feel like you're perishing or not going anyplace, God will, does want to download a vision to you. Lots of other things will keep visions that will cause a vision to perish. Um, one of those things is permission. The, the other thing that causes visions to perish is people. You're going to require to fulfill the vision God's called you to. He's going to need to connect you to some specific people. Whenever the Lord wants to get you someplace... Or, or bless you or direct you, he puts a person in your path. And when you disconnect from your people, you disconnect from your permission. So we need, a, we need to be okay with our place. And there, it's so important that you're at the place that God's called you to be. And it's so important that you're connected to the people he's called you to be with. Because they'll either affirm and confirm uh, your vision or not. Um, there's patterns in scripture. I think they're interesting. When God wants to move somebody out of bondage, he takes them into a place. Um, we see that 
the Israelites, took them into a place of wandering. In the wilderness, like Jesus, you'll face those three temptations as well. But it's important that in the wilderness that you commit yourself to times of prayer. Because prayer is not just changing situations, it's primarily changing you. So, so he, he takes you out of some place. When he's taking you out of some place, he puts you into a place of preparation and development. And that's where you and I have to be faithful in prayer. The difference between my vision and God's vision is who gets the glory at the end. God's shaped vision actually is much bigger than you can accomplish on your own. You're going to need some people. You're going to need other people. And, and I think that in this case, we need to connect to permission. Prayer, prayer reconnects us with God. Prayer reverses the curse. What happened at the fall, something took place at the fall that we need to be aware of, and that is that when the fall happened, it had a relational impact. And so you and I have to reclaim that, and we reclaim that through prayer. We, we reconnect with God. We reconnect, and we begin to reverse the effects of the fall when we, once again, we're talking. We're on good talking terms with the Lord, and we begin to talk with him on a regular basis. Prayer uncovers idols in our hearts and obstacles ahead. It enlarges our heart, and it hones our conviction. Uh, vision rarely comes with instruction. It comes with passion. From here on, I'm going to use the word passion instead of vision. Just, uh, and I'll define that in a minute. Um, it comes with passion. What do you care deeply about? Uh, the place for you and I to gather our passion from is Jesus. What you're passionate about, here's, here's what I have found, is we become passionate about the things that we love. Passion connects with love somehow. Passion obviously requires sacrifice. It's, it's mistaken by some. Because what is, looks normal to you, what you would do out of love, and love in many ways is this insane thing that blinds you to other things and connects you to the thing that you love. We're passionate about the things that we love. I, 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 am really, I really love that he, was, he cared about this condition. He has, he has some fire in his bones. Um, somebody said, if you want to ignite the fire within you, you look at the fire in the eyes of Jesus. He has fire in his eyes. There's some things that Jesus is passionate about. I hope that we're passionate about those same things. What are what those things that stir you? Can I, you identify five different passions? You need to connect with your passion. Passion moves us along. Um, can you identify some things? Can, can you... Can you even name certain platforms of passion? We get involved in things and they create platforms for us to release our passion. Um, you know, some of these people that love music, it's a platform for their passion. Some people that love the word, the pulpit is a platform for that passion. Some people that like love production. Some people that love the, the, the un unsaved and the unhealed, and that's a passion. You're connecting to things that you love, and that's a clue to the thing that God, a problem that God has sol called you to heal, and a problem that he's called you to solve. Um, <clears throat> where will you be in 10 years? If you arrive at a certain place on purpose, that means you had vision and you had passion. Um, I'm interested in how marketing works. Our culture confronts us and tells us consistently that we're not enough. Have you noticed this? 
I've decided that anything that's advertised, I don't need. If you need it, you'll just go get it. But what happens in marketing is they tell you, you're not enough. You need a different pair of jeans. They, if they're not <laughs> short enough, or I'm still, I still have a pair of bell bottoms at home. Uh, they tell you, you're, you know, and, that, and then if they're not, if they're not, the bottoms are the wrong size, well, then they're not, they need to be ripped. And if they need to be ripped a little, they need to be ripped a lot. And uh, you're, not, you're not okay unless you are up with the right, the latest fashion. I don't know if anybody um, has found that, the, I'm watching about the new cars. There's cars on, on TV now about, they're advertising the new cars and all the stuff they can do. I still have to drive mine myself. It's, I, it's, I, it's old. I even have a CD player. I don't have an A-track. But I even have a CD player in mind. And, but what they'll do is, here's what happens, here's what the marketers will do. They'll cre they create a culture of discontent. Contentment is a form of wealth, you know that. Learning to be happy with what you have, rather than unhappy with what you don't have. And that's what it does. It creates this culture. You're not good enough until you have one of these or one of those. And, um, and uh, here's, here's what happens as we run the vision or the passion through the filter of what's in it for me. There's only one solution to dealing with the whiffums, what's in it for me, about, about, and that's this, it, it, rather than to save your life, you learn to lose your life. He, Nehemiah let go of his comfort of the palace. You need to think about the journey that he goes on. The, the, that, the, the passion led him to something very uncomfortable. It moved him along to something that would have been challenging. Um, in other words, what we fear the most is the key to life, to surrender our life. It's a key to life. We live for self or we die for self. Oh, I got a slide of, last week I talked about spiritual maturity. Did you know that you can fake Christ-likeness? I, I told us that. The reason that measurement, so, it's so difficult in it, measure, measuring our, how we're moving ahead in, in our Christian walk is very difficult. Because we can, we can look at, you can measure religion. You can't, you, can't, you can't measure Christ-likeness. It's very hard. But one way, I just got a little slide here that talks about, shows the difference as we, get old, as we begin to uh, be mature in Christ, the one thing that begins to happen is we become more and more dependent. This is what's going on in Nehemiah's life. Because you and I are taught, you know, we, we're, born we're born dependent, very dependent. We might end up in depends later on, but we... we <laughs> We're born, depend, mom and dad need to do everything, and then we're supposed to own our life, which is a sign of maturity, accepting responsibility. But then as we move along the continuum of spiritual maturity, we, here's what happens is we become more and more dependent on the Holy Spirit. We become more dependent on the living word. We become more dependent because we realize that in and of ourselves we're not enough, and we need some outside help. Here's what, I, here's what I need to say. I need to say about your passion, you need to find ways to feed your passion. How are you feeding your passion? Because it'll, it, it's, like, it's like putting, you need to put, keep putting wood on the fire. Marriages will die if you, don't put, if you don't feed the passion. Did you know that? Vision dies if you don't feed it. Uh, can I, let me just use a synonym for, for passion. Uh, gosh, the amount of times I've been told this, uh, it's dizzying. Has you ever been told you've got such positive energy? This happens in, in random places. I mean, you've got good energy. <clears throat> I don't, you know, I'm not sure if I want good energy or not. But, but what I get to tell them is that energy is the energy of the, of the Spirit of God. 
It's something within me that moves me along. Uh, Nehemiah would say by chapter 8, he says, joy is your strength. (laughs) He's burdened here. There's a time for weeping, but then there's a time that joy comes in the morning. He got through this, and now there's joy in his life. We need to have some joy in our life. Did you know that your body is, in, is a, it, it requires, you've got to give it energy. Sugar is an instant energy. I found, I found thank, thank you, Jesus, for the coffee team this morning. Caffeine's a <coughs> Christian crack. I found that, so when I, when I travel, I, can, I found that for $4, I can buy 20 caffeine pills, and I don't have to stop for bathroom breaks when I'm driving. It's a little pill. Energy. Listen, if you lose energy, you know that the vision, the vision will die without energy. So you need to learn to function within the light and the love and the life of Jesus in your life. Positive energy, because there's also negative energy that turns, moves into darkness and greed and jealousy. And who knows? <laughs> Hitler, it said, they said, had endless energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was creating <laughs> corruption and destruction in the world. All right. Energy. Feed your, feed, we are an energy grid. You and I. Feed your passion. Next thing is uh, confirm, confirm your vision, confirm your passion with permission. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm just going to say a couple things about this. Um, what are you passionate about? Um, I think some, the, just, just in terms, one, one last thing. I think that you can, if you look back over your life, you'll be able to find things that you've accomplished. Um, and I have, a, I have a place in my journals, in my older journals, accomplishment and conclusion. What did that mean? If you're winning at something, that actually may be a clue of what your passion is. And, uh, and I don't mind thinking 30 years out, well, not anymore. Well, still, yeah, I think out, but, but you think out in five-year increments, just say, what, 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 how old will I be and what do I want to do and where, are you go- where am I going to be and what am I doing? And I think it's really important to allow the Holy Spirit to work with the things he's placed in our heart by, by us recording them. Let me just talk about Nehemiah. He's growing up. He's taking responsibilities, he's taking steps, he's trusting God, and he's getting permission. Uh, If you don't have anybody to ask permission from, you're likely walking in an orphan lifestyle. There should be somebody in your life that you can go to. I think there's three sources where we gather permission from. One of them, I think, specifically needs to be authorized voices in our life. There's people that God's places around us that are authorized voices that know us, that care about us, care, care about the vision that we carry in our heart. Secondly, there's trusted friends. There's friends who can talk to us and say, uh, you're out of your mind. And friends usually, right, faithful wounds of a friend, they'll tell you you're loony, which is nice if you are. <laughs> if you're not, it's not so nice. But it, you need, we need authorized voices in our life. Do you have an authorized voice where you say, I'm about to do this, what do you think? Um, and then I think the other authorized voice is the Word of God. When we left, uh, I had a, uh, not a general word, I had a very specific word to move to Calgary. Um, I had permission, I was invited here by a church planning team and Pastor Fenn, come plant a church. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Um, I needed help. But um, two times I said no thank you because I was mostly asking the question, what's in it for me? The third time I came, and the Lord spoke very, very clearly to me. And it was just like he just really needed to sh- shake my tambourine. <laughs> and he basically said this. He said, um, I, was in, I was in the basement at McKenzie, at McKenzie Community Center. 
and I was preaching at a service there that I was invited to preach at. It was just kind of a would I like to come. And, and as I was standing there and I was looking out the window, looking at the mountains, and I was telling the Lord all the things I wanted. Well, I need this. I'm going to need this. And oh, if I'm going to do this, I need this. And of course, my family. And, you know, my family right now think I'm loony for even thinking about this. And I was looking for, right? And the Lord said, turn around. I turned around. A, fam a young family walked in to the, into the basement. And he said, what about them? I said, what about them? He said, who's going to reach them? I said, what do you mean? This is an honest dialogue between me and the Lord. It was like it was yesterday. And he says, there's some people that only you can reach in Calgary. And I go, oh gosh, I was thinking more of what's in it for me. And he said, no, what about what I want? And I go, oh gosh. And I, you know, and I ripped my clothes and sackcloth and ashes and I went into a <laughs> time of mourning. And I could, not, not quite, I'm not that, quite that holy. But it was very confronting for me about, you know, like my, specific, my specific issue. Um, um, I, I, I always, we, we like, I like walking because pe people that walk are happy. People that run are never happy. <laughs> They're always, they always look mean. They, and they always, they, and they, they're always the ones that find people in, in parks that are dead. And it's all very suspicious for me, the runners. Um, just running through Central Park and I came upon, oh, sure you did. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, I, I find recently I've been, there, I love puppies. <laughs> There's a problem with puppies. They grow up to be dogs. Has anybody noticed that? I know. And then they require all this care. I told my kids, I said, you can live at our place as long as you stay seven year old, years old for the rest of your life because you're cute at that age. And he gives his kids so that we fall in love with them and say, oh, we never want them to leave. And then he puts them through teenage years where we go, you got to leave. I can't. <laughs> Can't put up with that smell any longer. You're out. Uh, there, there's a point where we need to grow up. He, he has rehearsed this speech. Let me come back to my text. He's rehearsed it over and over and over and over again. Uh, I, expect, I expect that he had a thousand times knew exactly through times of this season, five-month five season of prayer, here's what I'm going to need. Because the, the, king, king, the king asked two questions, and I think, it's, I think, I think they're great. And he asked him this, he said, he, he, he had the big ask, he said, I'm going to need this, you need to give me something, and secondly, I need you to send me. It's really interesting things. But he would have rehearsed it, I think, a thousand times, of, of what he's going to say, because he's really scared here, long live the queen, I'm bad, the king, sorry, I'm badly frightened, long live the king, uh, but why shouldn't I be sad? And he begins to unburden his heart. The, the vision that you place in your heart needs to at some point turn into vocabulary. And, it, and, and I try to root my vocabulary as best I can understand and articulate the promises of God for my life. Um, and, 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 I, and it just needs to have, it needs to have, it needs to resonate with that passion. Um, <clears throat> it needs to resonate with the destination. Uh, it, because because what will happen is that your vision and your passion will get contested. And you need to have a reason to hold on to the truth and hold on to the word. And so <clears throat> I, he, he finally, he's asked, what's going on? If someone asks you, what's happening in your heart right now? And maybe you don't have that vision. I'm going to pray for people's vision this morning. I'm going I'm to pray for people who, are, who only know they're so far and they need to go the rest of the distance and they don't have vision to go any further. It feels like a dark night. It says in the next chapter, we'll look at this next week. He said, I went out at night. Usually it's at night in those dark seasons that the Lord begins to remind us <clears throat> and turn us. I want to pray for you this morning. Um, all right, so, so um, 
Yeah, there's a time where there was likely, there was likely a pause when he, when he asked them, so what do you want or what do you need or how can I help you? That's in verse uh, 4. What is it that I can ask for? And I really think it's important when we're thinking about pa- vision and passion and, uh, in our life that we actually have laid out a list of things. Here's what, here's, here's what needs to happen. The, the Lord, I found, he's, he's, he is, once you get the what, you should never really stress about the how. Because he probably wanted to do it a different way than you anyway. And, I, and I've also found that when God, when I think he's given me a vision and I begin to walk it out, it's actually bigger and better than I ever would have thought myself anyway. He doesn't want to give you just a marriage. He wants to give you a happily ever after marriage. <laughs> didn't want to give you just a business. He wants to bless your business so it can bless others. <laughs> he didn't want to give you just a church. He wants to fill that church and then multiply that church for more churches. <laughs> He needs to take what he wants, but he's, he wants us to be able to say, and this is one day in my deck, I said, Lord, what is it you want? He said, no, what do you want? Because <laughs> you need to take responsibility for your vision. What's that in your heart? All right, and lastly, he connects us to people. Um, we don't arrive at our future, we create our future. I find that growing old is very easy. Growing up is very difficult. Um, I think I'm just going to... Um, I think I'm going to leave these other two points for another time. I don't think they're that important. But I'll probably just close with this. Does anybody care? He, he, does anybody care? I found some, some Saturday afternoon as I was going about my chores that I said, Lord, I'm not sure if I care enough for the people in Calgary. Just per- perfectly honest. I care to see this church grow. I think I care about you, but what about the people that aren't here yet? I I began to think about people that may wonder, is this my last day? Because I want out of this life stuff. Do I care? Um, Do I care enough to like stay up and like uh, actually do something about it? I, I, I said, Lord, I think my cheeks are way too dry. Do, do we care? He cared. He cared enough to connect with his passion. He cared enough to gather permission. And he cared enough to connect with people. When you disconnect with people, you'll disconnect with your purpose. You can't disconnect your relationship with God and your relationship and, and think that, let me rephrase this. I know what I'm trying to say. When, when, when the Lord said, let me summarize, let me summarize your mandate. Love me and love others. And love yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like, you all love yourself. You, you, what, what happens, I find, is that we say, well, we love God, but I just don't like people. That, that, that's an impossibility. First John says, you can't say I love God, but don't then hate my neighbor. What if you could measure your love for God by the amount of love that you have for others? What would that really be like? I know we make statements, Lord, I love you so much, and we sing, oh, I love you, Lord, and lift my voice. I know we sing it and say it. But I'm talking about caring enough to connect with people because when you disconnect with people, I, per- I, I personally think we disconnect with God. I, I know it's this funny, we, we've said it before, you need to be part of a group. You'll never grow without a group. Who are your people? Who's, where's your place? Who's your people? And, um, and we, need to, we need to not disconnect from people. We need to connect. He got his assignment while he was in his place of service. Um, he got a strategy in prayer. Took time to pray and plan. And um, 
He had the, he had the faith to say, both send me and give me. Um, I, I'm just going to close with, with this thought, though. Um, he, the, the, the amazing thing is you get to the end of, on a, a few chapters ahead, he finished this project in 52 days, like under two months, because he was able to put a plan together that included other people. He never could have built that wall, rebuilt the walls himself. It's really fascinating to me why we think we can fulfill our vision on life by ourselves. When God connects you to somebody and some people, it's for a purpose. And I think it's up to us to discover what that purpose is. Um, I'm just going to close by, um, we're going to sing a song. And then I want to pray for people. You're either leaving somewhere or you're entering somewhere. And you're in that place in between. And you're not really sure what's next. And I want to lay my hands on you. And pray that God would give you his passion for his purpose. That's what I pray. Your vision is too small for yourself. It needs to be bigger. There's nothing bigger than the mission of the church on the earth right now. There's nothing bigger. It's the apple of his eye. How are we going to build the church together is my question. How are we going to reach the lost, make disciples, empower leaders? How are we going to do that? We do it together. But we do it in his power, in his time, through times and seasons a prayer and intercession. I, I want, I'm just going to pray for people. Remember, you can just stay seated while we sing, I think. What song do you want to sing? I said I'd tell you, didn't I? Let's sing, let's sing our living hope. Okay, living hope. If you're at a place now where you're not sure what's next and uh, you, would like, you would like prayer, I want you, after we sing this song, to come forward. And I think I'd like you to stand as we sing. I think that's good for us. You know, you change the brain waves in your in your by just simply looking up. So just begin to look to Jesus, our living hope. And then I'm going to invite you for a time of prayer. And then we'll, and then we'll close. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.